And I want to invite Benny Yu, who's our guest speaker today. Benny is from an organization in Mexico City that we partner with called El Pozo de Vida, the Well of Life. Amazing man, has become a really good friend of mine. And um, I'm honored that he's here. I just want to tell you two things about today. One is, I know you're going to love what he has to say, and you're going to say, I want to know more. So today at 4 o'clock at Old Santa Fe Restaurant in Louisville, uh, Benny and I will be there for a little happy hour. Appetizers are on Benny, and all the drinks are on you. So if you want to hear more about the organization or opportunities, in the end of January, I'm taking a small group. It can only be about 12 people. There's already some people signing up. But if you want to hear more and maybe be part of that group and just have an amazing uh, time from a Wednesday through a Sunday, the last weekend in January, then come on out and hear about that. So let's give him a warm welcome. Thank you, Gene. And thank you, Cornerstone. Um, for receiving me today. My name is Benny Yu, as Gene uh, <clears throat> mentioned. Um, my wife and I and two kids, we've been um, living in Mexico City for 15 and a half years. Uh, well, my daughter right now, she's actually studying uh, in college. She's um, a sophomore right now. And my son, uh, Micah, he's 16. He's still with us at home. He's a junior this fall. And like Gene shared, our organization is called El Pozo de Vida, the Well of Life. It's an organization that fights human trafficking in three key areas, in the areas of prevention, intervention, and restoration. And, you know, we, we started that work. We first went down to plant a church, and we were planting the church, and God started opening up our hearts about this issue of human trafficking. I don't know if you know, but globally they estimate about... 36 to 38 million modern-day slaves. And when we started learning about this issue of human trafficking, my heart began to break. You know, I, it, it broke so much. Um, it, first, because there's about 8 to 11 million kids that are trapped in uh, sexual slavery. And what also broke my heart was that I related to them. I related to these kids because when I was eight and nine years old, growing up, my cello teacher, who was our neighbor, sexually abused and raped me. And, you know, I had made this inner vow. I said to, to you know, myself and to God, I'm, I'm going to do everything that I can to protect my kids. I don't want anything to happen to my children. And, you know, God's been faithful with that. But when I learned about this issue of human trafficking, I felt God speaking to me. He said, Benny, you didn't go through that pain just to protect your kids. You went through that pain so it can become a platform to show my power to the world. And that meant for me to be more open about it, to be vulnerable about it. But I knew that it was not for, the pain, my pain wasn't something for me to carry. But it was something to be redeemed. It was something that the Lord wanted to use to show his glory, to show that healing and restoration and redemption is possible. Amen. So, um, you know, I wrote a book uh, called Painful Miracles. It's I believe it's out there. I, I just brought it just to kind of see what would happen. Uh, but it's out there at the information table if you want to learn more. It's also on Amazon. 
uh, if you want to hear a little bit more about our story. But um, we have this approach in the areas of prevention, intervention, and restoration. It's a holistic model. And to help you understand it a little bit more, I want you to imagine if, if you were hiking here in, in the, the forest and the mountains, uh, and you're by yourself, and you're walking along this river, and all of a sudden, you hear this baby crying. You hear this baby crying, you turn around, and you see this baby floating down the river in a basket. And as soon as you see this baby floating down the river in a basket, what are you going to do? Yeah, you're gonna, you got to save the baby, right? You're not going to take your phone out and be like, okay, oh, Instagram, right? No. You're going to save the baby. Amen? So we're going to, you see the baby, you're going to do what? Amen. All right. We can all save the baby, right? So we jump in, we save the baby, and then we, we after we do that, we hear another baby crying. And then we're going to do what? Amen. If your neighbor did not say save the baby, you can give them an elbow. <laughs> you save the baby. You hear another and another and another. Eventually, you're going to ask yourself a series of questions, right? What is going on upstream? Where are they coming from? Who's going to help me? Now I have 500 babies. What am I going to do with these 500 babies, right? So the work of prevention is to walk upstream to understand what is going, what are the causes that, is, that, that, that are contributing to these babies being in the river. Now, this... This model actually applies to any type of social ill. If you want to do justice work or you're trying to address any issues in society or in your community, you want to try to prevent the problem before it even starts, right? So that means the awareness, the education, but also understanding all the push and pull factors that cause a potential victim to become a victim. The Intervention work is to go into that point of risk, right? The point of danger, to jump into the river. There might be a current, it might pull you. You might need to figure out some ways to, uh, effective ways to intervene. You might need to put a rope in there. You might build a dam, you know? I heard that the last time I shared it. I was like, someone, instead of saying, save the baby, they said, build a dam. <laughs> They're really smart, right? Because you got to think about the best ways to be able to intervene to, to stop the problem. Right? And then the restoration is all that marathon work to help bring about the healing and restoration, to get them back into society. What are the things that they need? How do I connect them with you know, their family members? All that work needs to be done. But if you're just doing just one part of the solution that needs that addressing this issue, you're, you're going to be a little uh, unsettled. Right, because you're only just, if you imagine, if you're just there doing the intervention, you're just taking babies out all day long. It's, it's, it's going to be tiring. You want, you want to understand the whole panorama and address the issue holistically. And so that's what we do when we fight human trafficking in Mexico City. We have these programs, these prevention programs that are in the schools, that are you know, in public. We run PSAs. Um, the previous P PSA to the most recent one, we reached over 20 million people. Um, we have these uh, intervention programs that are right there in the heart of red light districts. We have community centers where we build the relationships with the women. It's not just about the rescue, but it's about the relationship, 
How do we connect? How do we build those bridges with them so that they trust us to be able to walk them through their process of healing and restoration? What are the things that they need? So we've been doing um, micro loans and uh, micro enterprise. We set these women up. Uh, actually, two weeks ago, we these two young women launched their own businesses. Uh, and, you know, we provided all the business training for them, six months long of business training, gave them the micro loan for them to be able to start their own businesses. It's just amazing. Um, we do these block parties out in the middle of these red light districts. We take a group of anywhere from 50 to 80 people and we throw a party. We literally throw a party out on the streets. We love on the girls, but we also love on the clients. We love on the even the traffickers that are out there, the pimps that are out there. We love them because everyone is loved by God. Amen? And the restoration work, we have our safe house. We have a couple of transition homes. We also provide jobs to women. Actually, uh, there's a jewelry line that started. It's called Nunayu. And which means freedom. And uh, these women make their own jewelry and we sell them. Um, it's actually, they're becoming its own co-op before the end of this year. They, they will be the business owners. Uh, so we feel that that's very important. Like uh, we tend to stay away from, oh, we come and we empower because that's a very top down. We're empowering women. That's a, uh, we, we, we prefer to say we walk alongside these women in their own process of empowerment. Because that's key. That's key. We don't have power to give. Only one person has power to give. That is God. There's only one rescuer. There's only one who restores. That is God. We just accompanying uh, them in their process. So um, that is who we are, what we do, why we do it. And so... Uh, now that's out of the way, I want to share God's word with you. So before we begin, uh, why don't we begin with a word of prayer. Oh, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you for just this amazing worship, Lord, this fragrant offering, oh Lord, unto you. And Lord, we pray for every heart, Lord, that is already ready and prepared, Lord, to hear this word. Lord, we pray that it would pierce deep into our souls and bring the conviction that only you can bring. Oh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give our minds understanding, Lord, a commitment to be able to follow and obey you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this series, Let Your Glory Fall. And I think I'm wrapping up the series. I've been told I'm wrapping up the series. So um, we are going to be reading from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And the word of the Lord says this, and this is the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. We're seeing here and witnessing the glory of God falling, the presence of the Holy Spirit amongst them. And the glory of God being made known to humanity And see, the glory of God, the glory of God is just an evidence of his presence. 
an evidence of his presence. I don't know if you have a, a friend that likes to use a, too much cologne, you know, where, you, where you, you smell them before you see them. I don't know. It's, you, I know you're thinking about somebody, you know. You, you smell them before you see them. And then if you give them a hug, you know, you start, you, you're like, oh, is, is John here again? No, no, I, I gave him a hug and now I smell like him all day long, you know. I mean, you know, so it, it, that's how the presence of God is. The presence of God, when he comes, his, his presence is made evident. And as it's made evident, it's just there. And I know some of you may have said this prayer like, God, show me your glory or show us your glory. Now that prayer in of itself is not bad, right? We have a sincere heart. We want to see his glory, his, his power, the, the signs and wonders, healing and deliverance happen. And I think sometimes we make this mistake. We say, we say God, show us your glory because we want God to show up, basically to show up and show off. And we kind of missed the mark there. Because when God's glory falls, it's not for him to just show up and show off. It's not like Disneyland, right, where we need to see all the fireworks happen. We're going to learn here that when God's presence falls, when he is made evident, when his glory is shown, there's specific purpose in all of his glory It's not just for this big meeting or a conference or even here on Sundays. Like, I know we pray, Lord, show your glory. Yes, amen. But our hearts, we need to examine our hearts and understand that it's not for him just to show up and show off and the fireworks happen and we're like, oh, God was great, amen. And then we, we leave here and say, oh, that was a great service. There's much more to the glory of God being shown. There's much more to it. And when God's glory is shown, when his presence falls down, God's presence is around us. God's presence is for us. God's presence is in us. Amen? God's presence is around us, for us, and in us. So when God's presence is made evident around us, we begin to experience and see his signs and wonders. We begin to see the miraculous happening. The signs and wonders are not for show, but it's to show that he is God, that God is God. That God's lordship and sovereignty is over all things. When Jesus calmed the seas and calmed the storm, what did the disciples do? They fell down and worshipped him and said, you are God. You are Lord. In the same way, when signs and wonders and the miraculous begins to happen because the glory of God falls down, it's for us to worship him. It's for us to give him glory. 
It's for us to submit ourselves to him, to surrender to him and say, you are God. You are God. You know, no, I believe that there's no greater context better for the miraculous to happen than in compassion and mercy. When you are showing compassion and mercy to those who are in need, you're showing God's heart here on earth. And I mentioned before that we do these block parties. And so at our very first block party, I remember when we were gathering together, we packed in to, this, uh, to my friend's apartment. There wasn't space to even move around. Everybody was kind of, we were packed in there like sardines. And the afternoon was beautiful. It was this blue sky. So I said, okay, it's going to be easy. We're, we're going to no problem with the rain, right? And as we were meeting and kind of going over what was the logistics of what was going to happen that night, my, my uh, friend's wife said, hey, look outside. It's going, to, it's going to rain. We better go now. So I looked outside, and if you've ever been in Mexico City, when you start seeing you know, the storms roll in, you know it's, it's not going to be all like, you know, I think um, we had this dinner at... Uh, um, at Jean's house on on Friday night, and you know it, it was this, it was blue skies. There was no no clouds, and all of a sudden the clouds came, and then Jean just kept on saying, "Oh, it's just gonna it's just gonna blow over." And we sat there for a while. We were eating outside, and all of a sudden the raindrops started falling. And then I was like, well, I think we need to go inside now. And he's, Gene was like, no, it's just going to blow over. And it was like, I, th we th I think we better go in. And then I, like a raindrop, like the size of a quarter, hit my head. And I was like, okay, we better go in. And sure enough, it rained. But uh, supposedly here in Boulder, like the, the rain clouds might just roll in and then roll right out. And, you know, it's, it's, it's done. But in Mexico, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> when you see the rain clouds, it means it's going to rain. And um, so we get everybody together. We start walking out into the street. And, I, and we noticed where we were coming from, it was like these blue skies. And where we were walking towards is, are the, these dark, dark skies. And if you, um, you can look it up on YouTube. Um, I think if you just Google uh, Block Party Mexico City, 27 million, you'll see, you know, the, the actual video. And um, so we start walking towards where we're going and I, the wind is blowing, dust, leaves everywhere and I'm like in front of the pack and I'm saying in the name of Jesus it's not going to rain and I, like a leaf comes into my mouth. I mean it was it was nasty, you know. I'm, I'm, we're out there but we're just proclaiming believing because we knew that God's compassion and mercy was going to be shown that day. And about two and a half late, hours later and we look up and we're like, it didn't rain. We were so busy doing the party, we forgot about the rain. It didn't rain. And the crazy thing about it was if you walk three blocks away, the streets were flooded because it had rained so much around us. And there was like a hole in the heavens and God held back the rain. It was so powerful. And we saw so many healings happen. We were praying for so many women that night. That's, those signs and wonders, the miraculous happening, was when we were just simply trying to share the love of God. To share his heart to those who are broken. 
Because when his presence is around us, we experience those signs and wonders. God's presence, not only when it's, he's around us, he's also for us. And when God's presence is for us, we experience deliverance and healing. He's for us. He's for us to give us that deliverance and healing. And, and I know some of you may even come, have come today expecting, expectant for that deliverance, for that healing. But the deliverance and, and healing is not an end in of itself. The deliverance and healing is so that we can experience God's freedom and wholeness and the abundant life that he promises us. Amen? You know, in John 8, 32, it says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. God desires to bring deliverance and healing in our lives, but it's for us to be able to experience his freedom. And you know, some of you may have come and you're dealing with addictions. You might be struggling with certain things in your life. And you're like, oh, you know, I just, I, I understand that. I know that. But, you know, I just still struggling. And I, I, I don't feel free. I don't feel free. This is a conversation that you might be having in your head. You know, my wife, Jana, she has a teaching on this. And she says, you know, the truth sets you free. Your feelings don't set you free. So if the truth sets you free and the feelings don't set you free and you don't feel free, then it's time to get over your feelings. You know, I just see my wife standing over me with her finger pointing at me like, you know. <laughs> oh, man. I'm like, okay, I'll get over my feelings now. The truth sets us free. Amen? The truth sets us free. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He sets us free. And the deliverance and healing that we're looking for is not an end of itself. But he wants to usher us into this freedom, this abundant life that he has promised us. You know, we had one young girl come to us in our safe house, and she was trafficked by actually uh, two police officers. And they came, uh, two girls came together. And, you know, every time they come, they, we send them to the doctors first to get a full revision. And they were with the OBGYN, and the OBGYN said, um, I, I'm, I'm going to recommend reconstructive surgery because um, the damage is just way too much. And her heart was just so broken. Her heart was so broken because, you know, she had this vision that one day, you know, I would be, she would be able to get married and, you know, be able to put on a white dress and, and you know, to present herself to her husband. And she just was so torn. And my wife, she does these inner healing prayer sessions with our um, survivors, our beneficiaries in the safe house and so she was praying with her, and, and she brought forward her, her pain, just her brokenness and about this issue. And so she prayed for her and prayed that the Lord would be able to restore her, restore her. 
and rescue back everything that had been stolen. That's really important because for us to understand, you know, the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. He's come, he steals things from us that the Lord has given us. For me, in my own personal journey, I had to steal back a lot of the innocence that I knew was stolen from me in my childhood after the abuse. And in the same way, this young lady had to rescue back just her purity. And she began to feel some heat within her body. At the pre-op, pre-operation, you know, checkup, the doctor reviewed her again. And he said, you know what? I, we recommended that there was going to be reconstructive surgery. But as I'm seeing her right now, medically, she is a virgin. And God restored and rescued back all of that. It was so beautiful. So beautiful. Because she got to experience that healing and deliverance that only our healer can bring. Amen. Amen. And that's, that's the Lord. Because when he, his presence and his glory falls, he's not only around us, he's for us. He's for you. He's not only around us and for us, but he is also in us. God's glory is in us. And as his glory begins to become more evident within us, we begin to experience community. And community, again, is not an end of itself. Not to say that small groups or Bible studies are bad. It's good. The community is not an end of itself because community is for us to be able to experience kingdom here on earth. Kingdom here on earth. That as a people of God, we pray the Lord's prayer and we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Right? When we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the good will of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. We pray that we would be a community like this. But that community needs to bring kingdom here on earth. A good friend of mine, Dub Alexander, he shared it to me like this, and I'll share it with you. You know, if, if you have in your mind that when you give your life to Jesus... That, yes, one day I'm going to go to heaven. And in heaven is paradise and there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. It's going to be beautiful there. And for me, there will be a buffet full of 
all the yummy treats. I've told my wife there will be tons of pizza, meat, and chicken bakes from Costco. <laughs> I don't know why, but you know that those chicken bakes are something for me. Right. And there will be heaven, and it will be just amazing. But here on earth, on earth, it's just going to, you know, it's, there's too much pain here. It's all going to pass away, and it's not worth the investment. It's just not worth the investment. And so my eyes are focused on the day I will be with Jesus in heaven. And we begin to ignore and separate ourselves from creation. And so he says, Dub, he says, well, if your, your idea of heaven is that, and that when you die, you get to experience heaven, that when you die, you, become, you experience heaven, then death becomes your savior and, and Jesus is not. Right? You only get to experience heaven when you die then that means death is your, is your savior. If Jesus is your savior, then that means you were supposed to experience heaven here on earth. Amen? That's heavy. It's heavy to think about. But it's true. Heaven here on earth is what we've been asked and invited into. That as a community of God, as his presence, as his glory is in us, as it's in us, the glory of God in us. We begin to experience community. And this community begins to bring and invite heaven here on earth. This latest campaign that we launched is called Estan Tus Manos. It means it's in your hands. It's in your hands. It's basically, we're trying to disciple nations here. <laughs> um, our last campaign, like I said, we... Uh, reached over 20 million people. This one, I think we're going to reach definitely more. And it's to eradicate forced child begging. Eradicate forced child begging. I, if, if you've traveled internationally or if you've seen movies, you've seen where there are kids in certain developing and third world countries where kids are begging out on the streets. You know, they're, or they're selling things. When they should be at school or in, in their homes... Or in playgrounds, they're out there working on the streets. And so, you, you know, your heart is torn. You want to give them money. You want to buy everything that they might be selling. And you're, you're, your heart is broken, thinking about what is going on in their lives. And when you look at the different modalities of human trafficking, you have, you know, sex trafficking, you have labor trafficking, modality, a submodality of labor trafficking is forced child begging. And so I went up to my team and I said, okay, guys, you know, this is something that we need to address. There should not be any more kids begging on the streets. And they're like, well, Benny, this is, this is just kind of like how Mexico is. This is how it will be. And, you know, about five, six years ago, if you don't know, I, I became a Mexican citizen. So I, I, th I'm like, no, this is not how my Mexico will be. This is not the Mexico I will hand to the next generation. And say, well, this is a cultural thing. And I'm like, well, 
Last time I checked, there's no begging in heaven. So if there's no begging in heaven, that means there shouldn't be, we should be about making sure that there's no begging here on earth. Amen? So they, were, they can't argue that. So they were like, okay. And so shortly after that, I was attending this event. Um, it was the International Day for Women. And I was seated next to the senator. And we started sharing. And she started learning about the nonprofit. And she said, hey, I want you to come in two weeks to the Senate. And I said, why? What's going on? And she said, well, I've, we've worked on this new law. Uh, or, or it was a reform to a law to, per, to uh, prevent child marriages. Because at, up to that point, a girl as young as 12 years old could be married off. And so, you know, I said, okay. So I showed up and um, we were placed on the Senate floor as a vote was happening. It was passed unanimously. And then they moved us to the front. And I was standing there with the senator with amongst her team and other senators. And they, they took the picture. And I was like, God, what am I doing here? I, I didn't. I even work on the law. I'm, I'm up standing up here. And I felt the Lord speaking to me loud and clear. He said, Benny, you're here for a reason. You're going to speak to this senator about this issue. And it turned out this senator is actually heads the committee for children and youth. And so I went up to her and I asked her, hey, what's next? What's the next issue that we're going to tackle? And she said, I don't know. We don't have a plan. I said, I have a plan for you. We're going to address this issue of forced child begging. Because the current law is very punitive. It takes the, takes the parents and throws them in jail. If they find a kid, you know, their kids on the street, throws them in jail and the kids go into like, uh, like family services, right? It's not a solution. We need to do the prevention work. We need to go to the communities of origin, walk upstream, understand what the push and pull factors are. How can we create economic sustainability there? You know, how do we continue to intervene in a healthy way where we're not judging? We don't want to criminalize poverty. We want to be able to walk alongside them in their own process of empowerment. What are we going to do with these kids now? How do we get them plugged into the school? Is there going to be any remedial education that needs to be done? All of this, all-encompassing, is now placed in this reform, this reform been reviewed over to, from over 15 different international law firms that have commented on it and where their prospective countries have eradicated forced child begging, implemented within this reform. This reform is going to be on the Senate floor this month, and I know it will pass. Amen, amen. I want to share with you a quick video of this campaign so you can get an eye, uh, uh, get your eyes onto what we're doing. En la vida de niños y niñas hay manos que cuidan, manos que enseñan, manos que sustentan. Hay manos que buscan ayudar, manos que apoyan. Porque hay quienes lo necesitan. Pero otras manos ofrecen un escape. Exigen. Lastiman y explotan. La mendicidad expone a niños y niñas a innumerables riesgos. 
entre ellos, la trata de personas. En tus manos está contribuir a su erradicación. Infórmate en estaentusmanos.org. So this campaign, uh, it got adopted by the federal government as its campaign for this year on, on uh, human trafficking. The UN adopted it in Mexico as well. So we got the backing from the UN, we got backing from World Vision, from A21, which is another international anti-trafficking organization. Uh, we got the backing, it was in the movie theaters all uh, for a month during the previews. I don't miss any previews. I'm that guy that's always there early in the movie theaters. It was in previews for a month uh, nationally. Um, there's a, um, uh, kind of like a Penn Station in New York where all these metros and buses come together. Uh, it's called Glorieta Insurgentes. That was all covered with this campaign. Over 150,000 people walk through there every single day. Uh, this month, we will be on Paseo Reforma, which is the most important street in Mexico, where all the embassies are, and we're getting, and we'll be covered with all of the, um, the campaign. And God's just doing some amazing stuff there. It's, we got Google and F Facebook. They're providing free ad money for us to promote it. Um, Levi's and Adidas, that they're, they want to make these uh, bracelets to like promote the campaign and sell it. It's just phenomenal, phenomenal stuff coming together. And the Lord is, is just doing this so that we can bring a change in this country to bring heaven on earth to see kingdom's culture established here. And I know people will say, oh, that's just the way how things are going to be. But when we share God's compassion, his mercy, when we show his heart, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible, amen? Nothing is impossible. And, you know, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage this church. I want to encourage each and every one of you to, to see and to know that there is nothing outside of God's reach. Nothing. See, the glory of the God is falling in this place. He's around us. He's for us. He's in us today. I just want to invite you right now to, if you sense the Lord is speaking to you, how you can be an evidence of God's presence. I just want to invite you to stand up right now and just, if, if you are sensing the Lord, just invite all of us to stand up, if we can all stand and if the Lord is speaking to you, just put your hand on your heart right now. Who is that person that needs to experience more of God's compassion and mercy? How can you be that person? How can you be God's heart to them? I know you're imagining 
who that person is. You're thinking about that person. It might be you. You might be that person that needs more of his compassion and mercy. But I want to pray for you right now. Lord, I pray right now for every person here, every heart. And I pray, O oh Holy Spirit, that you will continue to do the work within us. Lord, we want to be your light. We want to be your salt on this earth. Lord, I pray that you would fill us all with your Holy Spirit. Lord, to be compassionate, to be merciful. Lord, I pray for those who need compassion and mercy right now and healing and deliverance. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would experience God's freedom and abundance in your life. And I just impart upon every heart here greater faith to see the impossible because nothing is impossible for you, O oh God. And I just impart the gift of faith to be able to see that and experience it and walk in it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.